This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. As you set out to achieve extraordinary results, it's natural to feel a tension between your personal and your professional life. I personally know what it feels like to think that if you want to be successful in business, that sometimes you might need to make sacrifices with time with family or with personal hobbies. The person you're going to meet today would suggest otherwise. Early in his career, he got clarity that one of his core values was family. And he made a commitment to his wife and to his kids that he would always put family first. And he continued to put family first while as a CEO of a small company to being the CEO of six significant sized companies, being on the board of over 50 companies and ultimately working in the White House for one of the presidents of the United States. Still finding a way to honor the commitment to living by his values, saying yes to the things that matter most first. Our hope is that as you listen to this, you have an open mind that you'd be willing to let this person challenge the assumptions that you've made in terms of what's possible. And our hope is that by the end of this episode, you can identify one thing you can do, such that by doing it would make getting clarity on your values and using them as a compass to make better decisions easier or unnecessary. Now, I will say we do have a tool that can support you if you're not clear on what your values are. If you go to the onething.com slash core values, we came out with the One Thing Values deck. We have over 140 values in this deck that will allow you to quickly narrow down to what your top three are. So just like this individual, you will be able to be certain about the things that you should be saying yes to and use it as a compass to make the best decisions possible. With that, let's get into this episode with Warren Rustand. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Warren, I've been looking forward to reconnecting. Me too. Thank you very much for taking your time to have a conversation. Yeah. You know, when, when you and I were first connected by Brock, I was amazed at how somebody who has had the career that you've had has been so focused and clear on what your values are and that you've lived them and controlled your time in a way that you say yes to the things that matter most. Well, that's a challenge that all of us face, isn't it? It's very difficult because the world's full of bright, shiny objects mm-hmm. and they get distracted, distracted really easily. The, the latest book, the latest celebrity, the latest speech, the new idea, whatever it might be. And I think it takes us off our game and we have to decide what it is we're trying to achieve 
within our clarity of vision. What is it that we want to get done with our lives? And if we can stay focused on that and then act with intent on that vision every day, guided by our values, then I think we have a great chance of being successful. But I think if we get off the path, if we get off the highway and we go off-roading, it gets a little tougher and it's a little more difficult. You've lived a lot of life at this point. At what point did you look up and realize that you needed to even get clarity on what your values were? Well, I think that happens from time to time. And I think we mature through a process. I mean, some people know with clarity what their values are and live those values from the earliest they can remember. But for many of us, it's trial and error. It's trying to figure that out over a period of time. And, you know, I wish I could say that I've always had the values that I have today, that I had them all the time in my life. But there were times when I made mistakes. Mm -hmm. I made errors in judgment. I had personal failures, had professional failures. I think that's probably more the common journey that we all go through than that person who just knows with absolute knowledge exactly who they are and what they're going to be. Mm -hmm. So I too went through that process. Now I was born in, in a pretty poor condition on an isolated farm in Minnesota near the Canadian border many years ago. And I had to grow out of that and take advantage of opportunities and fashion my values over time. And along the way, I've had some really good role models on values. I recall a story, if I may, I was in high school and I was sort of my senior year and I'd won some honors and awards and my ego was pretty full. And I was thinking I was a pretty cool guy. And, you know, and and so I was acting like it. Sometimes Mm. our ego gets out in front of us and we start acting like it, right? And I was acting like it. And I wasn't aware enough at the time to know that I was really offending some of my friends and others. And one day after a class, a government class taught by the wrestling coach at the the California high school where I went to school, um, he sat me down. I admired him greatly, a terrific man. And he said, you're a jerk and you're acting like a jerk. And if you don't stop acting like a jerk, you're not going to have any friends at all. He said with such clarity what I needed to hear. He had one of those difficult conversations with someone, and yet it was so powerful to me. And so I listened to him carefully, and I made some adjustments, and I I hope I got better, and I, I hope I took that as an important learning. But I think sometimes, every once in a while, people need to help us discover our values by making us more aware of what we're doing. And he did mm-hmm. in that case, and it helped me a great deal. What are your values today? Family first, all the time, everywhere. Um, I think that's really important. And we decided early in marriage, we wanted to have a large family. And so we have seven children, six boys and a girl, 19 grandchildren. And my most important time is spent with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are times when I've traveled more than other times. I've been away more than other times. But we have some very specific guidelines around our family and how we interact and when we interact and so forth. And so it's an opportunity for us to constantly reinforce our own values, all of our values together. We have a very close family. We have a lot of fun together. Every Sunday, we have a family dinner at 4.30 in the afternoon, and we eat and talk and have fun. And then we play games together and have a good time for three or four hours. So when all of us get together, it's pretty crazy. You know, it's a big group. We all live together on a farm in the center of Tucson, Arizona, on some acreage where the kids have built homes. And so all but our daughter, who lives in Seattle with her family, um, all of our children are there. And hmm. so it's wonderful. When I go home from work, we got kids and grandkids all around the place. It's just great. So I love That's that awesome. kind of thing. Maybe not for everybody, but it works well for us. So families first and foremost among our, our family values. And we think that's really, really important. 
there's a lot of people listening to this that feel the same way you do. Family is most important. Then they feel this consistent tension because they have big ambitions professionally and they feel that they have to say yes to putting in the hours or taking the late night call from the boss or working the weekends if they if they need to do it. You took a very different path while being the CEO of some very significant size organizations. What did that journey look like for you to say yes to family and by default sometimes say no to the professional things and still succeed? Well, I think it's something I don't think they're mutually exclusive. In other words, I don't think you have to sacrifice family to have corporate success. I don't think you have to to have a great family. You have to give up on your corporate career in any way, right? I, I just don't think those two are... And I don't think you have to damage your family to have that success. So I think, you know, we have to be careful and thoughtful about that. Early on, we established the fact that we were always going to have dinner every night with our family, uh, without exception. And so when someone asked me, well, as a business thing, we want to have dinner with you tonight, right? Yeah, I was in a sales situation or I was CEO of a small company or whatever it might be. We feel compelled to accept that invitation and then make the excuse to our family. But we'd already made the decision that it was family first. And so as a result of that, I would say to that person issuing the invitation, look, I can't join you at six o'clock because I'm going to be home for dinner with my family, but I'll meet you at eight o'clock. Okay, if that's okay with you, after we put the kids to bed and we have everything done with our little children. So I would always create the space to be there for family dinner and a time to get the kids in bed. As the kids got older, that gave me more flexibility, but we still always had dinner together. Mm. We've just always felt like that mealtime is really special with the family and that all of us should make a commitment to that. And we have in our family. It's been very, very beneficial to us. And I've never had an experience where someone in a situation like that didn't give me the business or didn't say, I respect you for that or admire you for that. I've never had a problem with that at any time in business because I established the rule family first. And with that, then if I lost the business as a result of that, okay, I lost the business, but I'm still home with my family. Mm -hmm. So I think some of those rules are a bit black and white that we have to have. And once we start fudging, once we start hesitating, once we introduce something else into the equation, then where does it stop? Mm -hmm. Where's the exception? Where does it stop? And so we've always tried to do that. So I give you a story. So, I was driving to the airport one day and we were about to, I was flying to New York. We we're going to close a large transaction for us. And there were lots of people waiting, lawyers and accountants and bankers and everybody else in New York City. And we we're going to go there and close this deal. And on the way to the airport, we have a son, a, a, our second son, Scott, who had some special needs as a young man. He had had a difficult time at school and sometimes he was bullied by kids. Unfortunately, he had an older brother and a lot of younger brothers and they protected him, but he was being bullied and so forth. He had a really bad day. And I was on the way to the airport and my wife called me and said, uh, you know, Warren, Scott needs you. And um, I said, well, you know where I'm going. I'm going to close this big transaction. This is a big deal. We got to get this done. We've been planning this for months. And she said, in a way, only a wife can say, Warren, Scott needs you. Hmm. I knew exactly what she meant. And so then that's that decision point, isn't it? Do I get on the airplane or do I go home with P.O. Scott? Well, for me, having made the decision early on in my life about family, I just turned the car around. I called New York. We canceled the meeting, canceled the deal. Didn't ever know if I'd get that deal back on again. Drove back home and I spent three days holding Scott, playing with Scott, talking to Scott. And Scott did just great. And he bounced back. But that was an important time for me as a father to be there with him. 
Fortunately, some months later, we got the deal back on track, got the deal done and it all worked out. But it wasn't the deal first. It wasn't business first. And that's just a decision we've chosen in our family. That may not work for every family, but that's something we've chosen for our family. It, it, um, when I hear you speak, you exemplify so much of what we often teach, which is when you are clear on what you're saying yes to, saying no to the other things simply is not as difficult. That's right. And when I, heard, when I hear you say, we already made the decision, family first. And when you said yes to that, there was weight with that yes. You didn't need to reevaluate it. You made the decision once and it, it, it could be a compass for every future moment when you had to make the decision. It was already made. Right. I'm putting myself in the shoes of the listener, Warren, and realizing uh, it sounds so simple. Doesn't mean it's necessarily easy. And I think it's already starting to push what people think is possible in terms of being clear about your yeses. Yeah, you have an amazing story of another time when you had to be clear about your yes. And it was when you got to the White House. Walk us through that. Well, that's true. So I was a young CEO in my hometown running a small company. And I had lunch one day and a guest to that lunch was a retired four-star general. And, and we talked for a while. And then he said, as the lunch closed, have you ever heard of the White House Fellows Program? And I said, no. And he said, well, here's an application. I think you ought to apply. And I took the application, took a quick look at it, put it in my desk drawer back in my office, forgot about it. About a year later, I was actually cleaning out my desk as I was moving from one office to another. And I found this application and it was intriguing to me at that time. So I filled it out. It was due the next night at midnight. So <laughs> I sent it in the next day and didn't think I'd ever hear another thing. The White House Fellows Program was created by President Lyndon Johnson and Secretary of Health John Gardner to bring the best and the brightest to Washington, D.C. every year to work for the president, the vice president, or cabinet secretary to learn government at the highest level. And uh, I just didn't think I was, I was you know, just a guy, right? So I didn't think I was going to be accepted to that program. And about three months later, I got a letter that said, you're one of 100 national semifinalists. I thought, well, that's really interesting. And it said, you have to go to one of 10 interviewing centers in the United States, pick your center. There'll be the Commission on White House Fellows will be there and you get to be interviewed. So I went to Denver, Colorado. There were 10 other applicants who were there. I mean, and I walk in, I meet these people and they're Heisman Trophy winners and Nobel Peace Prize winners and they're authors and they're singers and they're, I mean, unbelievable. I've met some wonderful people. And the panel's job over a three-day period of time was to interview us and then recommend their first choice and second choice. And after three days, they announced that I was their first choice, which stunned me, surprised me. I subsequently found out there were several thousand applicants that year from across the United States. Went to Washington, D.C. to Airlie House with 37 national finalists. Spent a week with the National Commission on White House Fellows, the chairman of which was uh, Dr. Milton Friedman, one of the greatest economists of all time. Every single one of those 16 people were a household name. For seven days, it was three on one, 10 on one, 16 on one, interviewing us like crazy. They'd done a full FBI field investigation on our background, so they knew a lot about us. At the end of that period of time, uh, they opened the envelopes and you know, 17 of us were chosen as White House Fellows. And then we had to interview with the president, the vice president, secretary of defense, and so forth to see where we would be placed. The end result was I ended up with the Secretary of Commerce, led the first executive level trade mission in the Soviet Union. When I got back, the vice president had resigned. Gerald Ford had been nominated by the president to be vice president. I joined the vice president's staff at that time. Nine months later, through the Watergate era, he became president of the United States. And, uh, and the president asked me if I would serve as appointment secretary and cabinet secretary. And I said, yes. And he said, you know, sometimes that's a 24-7 job, one of the top seven jobs in the White House. And he said, 
there are going to be a lot of weekends you're going to have to work. And I said, I understand that. But Mr. President, is it possible that when I come into work on the weekend, I can bring my family or bring members of my family with me? And he said, sure. He was a committed family guy. Sure. So we have some wonderful pictures of our oldest son, Eric, playing football with the president of the United States in the hallways outside the Oval Office and uh, just having a great time. It was a great experience for two or three of our children. And uh, But it was that same notion, right, that what's my priority? My priority is family. And therefore, I need to include them in the equation of consideration as we think about things. The thing that goes through my mind is all those moments when I had to ask the question, what do I say yes to right now? Business or family? Yeah. And it seemed like such a tough choice. Yeah. And even I'm imagining you know, getting the call from the president of the United States saying, come serve and for you to say, family first. Yeah. Can I bring them with? Sure. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine a secret service when your son is playing football with the president. <laughs> yeah, they were a little concerned. <laughs> they were a little concerned. But yeah, it's, I, I think that we want to overcomplicate our lives. And isn't life a bit more simple than we think? And if we can establish our values, mm. establish our clarity of vision, our intentionality, and then I think things become a little easier to decide. We don't have to think of everything. We have to think clearly about the things that we value and the things that are our highest priority. And when we do that, life is an easier set of principles. That's right. Set of choices. Let's talk about how you actually plan and invest your time. If we were to look at your calendar, what would we see? Well, today, if you'd see it right in front of me, right in front of this screen, I've, I've got my call list. I'm mentoring currently 40 CEOs. I spend an hour a week with at least 12 to 15 of them every week, which mm. means three to four phone calls a day. So on my list of things to do every day would be three to four to five one-hour Zoom calls with CEOs who are facing particular issues, problems, or challenges, either in their business, in their family, with their community, or for themselves. And so I, I mentor these great CEOs across an integrated life of all of those four buckets. Mm. Now, you would probably also see another list that I call my core schedule. So I'm not on the phone. There is a list of things that I have to do that are taking me toward my clarity of vision, where I'm going. And so everything I do each day, I try to have a very distant view of where that's taking me. And then the other things, uh, the to-do lists and stuff like that, I put off to the side. And if I get to them, I get to them, but they don't change the world. Picking up the laundry, walking the dog, you know, getting my car washed. Those aren't the big things in my life. If I get them done, great. If I don't get them done, that's okay. They get done another day. But the critical piece is what's my highest priority. So one of the things I do the first thing every morning is that I sit on the edge. As soon as I'm a, I realize I'm awake, my eyes are open. I swing my legs out over the edge of the bed and I pause on the edge of my bed. And I say, what's my purpose today? Hmm. Why was my life spared for today? What's my highest priority, my highest purpose today? And if I can focus on that and make sure at the end of the day, the most important thing I have to do is done, then my life works pretty well. And so each morning, so, and sometimes we have more than one highest priority. In the morning, I might have to be a great negotiator, but in the afternoon, I might have to be a wonderful husband or father, mm -hmm. or I have to be a great team leader, or I have to create content for something I'm writing, right? So, but let's focus on the highest level things. And when we do that, we really change the outcome of the day, in my belief, is that because we're always working on what's most important. 
again, when you, when you talk about your day, it is so simple. You are hyper clear. You're at the stage in your career now where giving back is a, is a very important piece of your life, which is why you do the mentoring. And you have your blocks for that. That was no hesitation. I have time blocked for these calls. Then you have a block of time for whatever those high priorities are, the things that do change the world. And everything else is everything else. It is that simple. We also know there are probably habits, models, systems, leverage that you have put in place to make saying no to all that other stuff easier. What does that look like for you? Well, there was a list put out on social media a while back called the uh, the 14 things that the most ridiculously successful people in the world all do in common. And one of those things is they all have a morning routine. Mm-hmm. And I saw that among the most prominent people with whom I've ever associated, the president, vice president, cabinet secretaries, generals, leading politicians, right? I had a chance to observe them for several years. And what I found with them, they all have a morning routine. It would be the exception not to have one. And yet most of us don't have a disciplined morning routine. And when I ask audiences or I ask people, what do you do when you get up in the morning? They say, well, I walk the dog. I go to the bathroom. I brush my teeth. I take a shower. I get a cup of coffee. I reach for my cell phone. I turn on TV. None of those things prepare us for a great day. Not one of those things. So then you ask yourself, well, what would prepare me for a great day? So many years ago, decades ago, I created what's called 10, 10, and 10. It's 31 minutes we spend in the morning. So the first first piece, first minute is the piece I just told you, and that's sitting on the edge of your bed and saying, what's my purpose today? Then take 10 minutes and, and be grateful. Just have 10 minutes of gratefulness because we know an attitude of gratitude makes a difference, right? A grateful heart is a happy heart, right? So let's just be grateful for, these are first world issues we're dealing with. We talked about that earlier today. These are first world problems. We're really <laughs> lucky. We're really fortunate. So be grateful. The second 10 minutes, read something inspirational, a, a short poem, a short story, a quote, Read for 10 minutes of just inspirational stuff, nothing negative. And then the third 10 minutes, journal every day in a positive way about the great things that happened to you the day before. So that at the end of your life, you're leaving behind as a legacy to your children. Part of your genealogy is to leave a series of journals that are all about how good life is, which may help them through difficult times. And and when you die, that becomes a gift to your children and grandchildren. They can read. I could read. I could read today what my father felt on December seventh, nineteen forty-one, when the Japanese invaded Pearl Harbor, and and the positives that he took out of that. There were a lot of negatives. It was a bad day for America, but there were some things things he felt about America, some feelings he had about this country and his family, and so they were very positive. And just reading that helps me. Just reading that helps me. So I think we have a chance in the first 31 minutes of our day to put our mind in a place of positivity, to put our mind in a place of accomplishment, achievement. And if we do that, then the rest of the day goes really well. Yeah. um, I've been very purposeful over the last five years about how I have started my day. And one thing at a time, turning it into a habit to the point that it would feel weird if it didn't. And when you asked, what do you do when you get out of bed? I immediately went, I walk straight downstairs. 
I get on the, I, I fill up a, a, a water with lemon juice and other stuff just to, you know, hydrate my body. I get on the couch, I meditate, I whip out the journal, I journal about what I'm grateful for and reviewing my priorities. I hit the gym, then I hug and kiss my family, and I start the day. That's fantastic. Every day. Every day. And it makes a difference. I mean, Absolutely. I can see that in your countenance, right? I can see that in the way you smile, the way you have energy, right? And that's really what life is. You know, I've never been with a basketball team before a game where we sat in the locker room and said, we're going to get killed today. This isn't going to work out. You know, these guys are better than we are. That's not how we think. To be successful, we have to think success. We have to think in positive ways. And when we do that, we change the outcome of the game, in my opinion. As you go through the day, you have your time blocked for your mentoring. You have your time blocked for whatever those other priorities are that actually do make the biggest impact. There still is everything else. What are some of the simple things you've done to give yourself peace of mind that sometimes it's not going to get done? Or how does it get done by somebody else? I think one of the things that we generally don't do as busy people, because we like to be busy. We talk about how much stress we have. We talk about how busy we are. It's a badge of honor. We think, we think we're, we're somehow our ego's fulfilled if we're really busier than other people, right? So what I take is I create time and space on my schedule. So there's an hour in the morning and an hour in the afternoon when I close my door, shut off my computer and, and shut down my cell phone, where I just think. I think. <laughs> I just think. I think about the big issues. I think about a business I want to get started or buy. I think about our family. I think I'm thinking about the big things, right? It's just creating time and space to think. It's one of the few things that, uh, that I would say that we don't as a general population, we just do not do these days. We don't take time. We know, for example, that children are overscheduled, setting aside the coronavirus and COVID-19 and what this year has been, but kids are generally overscheduled, right? People, adults are overscheduled. That's creating what's called stress in our society. And this notion is that we're always too busy. But what we know, research shows, that what kids need is not to be overscheduled. They need playtime. They need time to explore. They need time to be kids. And the healthiest kids emotionally are those that have time and space. The healthy adults I know create time and space for themselves to really think. I might get in the car. We, our home, our community here is surrounded by 10,000 foot mountains. I can get in the car and drive to the top of a mountain in about 45 minutes. That's a great drive to think. You sit on a ledge and overlook the city and the valley. That's a great time to think. To go out on a boat, to go for a hike, to go for a walk, to find the space and the time to really think deeply about where am I going with my life? Where am I going with our family? What am I trying to achieve in business? What are the great strategic issues that I need to be thinking about as a human being? And when we do that, I think we create a very different kind of life. And, um, and I think the life becomes a happier life, a better life. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned this earlier, but I want to dive in. When you're working with these CEOs, you talk about what it means to live an integrated life. Yes. What does that mean to you? Um, I don't subscribe to the notion that there's such a thing as work-life balance, because that seems to imply there are verticals in our life. Work is one, family is another, communities, and they're somehow separated. I think life is an integrated whole, and we have to approach our lives holistically. There are times when our business is the most important thing we have to do for the survival of our family. There are things, times when our family's absolutely the most important and business has to pale in compassion. And there are times when our community is really critical. And I would say during COVID-19, 
We have had business that have been closing our doors, people who are sick and dying. We need to be reaching out in our community right now to help others. That's important, right? But I think all of these things weave together, and our job is to find the rhythm and pace of our lives for each family, and it's different for every family. But all of these pieces are integrated in a way that should make the whole happy and successful. I think sometimes if we just think about it as verticals, we're missing some things. We think that we can compartmentalize family and compartmentalize business, and that's very difficult to do. So we think about it as a whole, and that's for, therefore when I mentor all of these CEOs, we talk about their lives holistically. We talk about them in an integrated way, that I know that I'm better in my office as a CEO if my marriage is good, if I'm happy with our children, right? If I'm living in a happy state, happy environment, I'm better as a leader. And I think we have to appreciate that all these pieces reflect on other pieces Mm -hmm. and influence other pieces. Jim Rohn says you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah. That quote was a major reason that I made the choice to get into business with Gary and Jay. And it was it was so clear early on when we sat down and we held my first 411, which is a tool that we use to have clarity on my priorities. It's got a professional side, a personal side. These are your own goals, professionally, personally. Now let's break it down. Here's what you got to do this month to be on track. Here's what you got to do this week. Open up your calendar, block time for those things. There you go. Yeah. I remember uh, he said to me, you know, Jeff, when we said yes to getting into business with you, we made a commitment that we would help you get to where you want to go in life by being in business with us. Now that's professionally and that's personally. And right. he asked for permission. He said, I, you, know, you don't have to, but if you're willing to, I'm happy to coach you personally just as much as, as professionally. Because we all know the reason people leave jobs is because something is not happening in their life that they wish was happening by being in relation with the business. And oftentimes it's the personal things that are getting violated. I remember there was a year my wife and I were not in the best place. And specifically, we were not on the same page with money. I am the saver, investor of the future. She is experienced as one of her core values. She wants to live for the now. It's why I love her. It was creating an immense amount of strain in our relationship. And what I was unclear on was how it was affecting the decisions I was making running this company. Because instead of thinking like an owner and thinking about what would be best for the business, I was thinking about what would put the most money in my pocket today. Mm-hmm. And I remember he every week when we sat down to do our 411, the very first question he asked was, how was your Sunday meeting with Amy to talk about money? Because I told him that was my one thing. Or and sometimes that, that answer was not good. And I would literally break down. Yeah. I kid you not, for, for over an hour, we did not earn the right to talk about anything else. You fast forward a year, we got on the same page. It changed how I show up as a leader. But most importantly, what do you think that did to my loyalty? Um, hearing you talk about this integrated life, we as leaders cast a very powerful shadow. I like the opportunity to hold up the mirror and ask, what are we focusing on? And what are we teaching other people to focus on? Just the business or the whole life? Right. Yeah, yeah I think uh, your, your point you're making is an excellent one. The other point I would make from a family perspective is that my wife and I are co-CEOs. Hmm. We're partners in our family. It's really important that parents be on the same page. And so we started 40 years ago, 45 years ago, 50 years ago now, maybe. But we started having uh, a same page meeting every Sunday evening. 
where she and I would go down to our bedroom, close the door after the kids were in bed, and we would sit down with our calendars and with our issues. And we would talk through an integrated schedule. She always knew where I was. I always knew where she was. We knew where the kids were. And then we would go through every child and talk about each child and their developmental issues. Hmm. What does Eric need? What does Scott need? How can we support him best? I'll do this if you'll do this. What about discipline? We need to be on the same page on discipline. So let's talk about how we're going to do that, right? So we've always had a very integrated couples approach to parenting and family. And it's made our children happier and more wholesome because they weren't playing the games of parenting, you know, where they they pit one parent against the other and so forth. They leverage their relationships because we were always on the same page. And I think um, we've turned out happy, healthy, really good kids who have done very, very well. And I think that was helpful to them. And I think this notion of being on the same page is really critical. And I love that it was just sitting down once a week with the calendar and the list. You just talked about it. I needed to hear that right now. <laughs> My wife and I are having, we have our 411s every weekend, but we, we have an opportunity to be even more purposeful so that it's, it's co-CEOs of the house because it not, it's not equal right now. Right. Yeah. 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 I think sometimes we can get caught up in our careers. Our spouses can take all of the weight of the family and the home. And we can always say, well, it's my career. It's this, it's our business. We got to put some money away. We got to make more money, whatever it is. And I think that uh, we have to avoid that if family is our most important issue. Imagine you're starting your journey all over again. What's the first thing that you would do? That one thing that you knock that domino down, it unleashes everything else. I'd marry my wife sooner. That's a good answer, my friend. <laughs> I, think, I think all of us appreciate in marriage that it's the most important decision we make in our life, far more important than any business decision we make, is who we're going to spend our life with. We spend so much time together. And then if we have children together, we spend so much time together as families that who our partner is really matters. And it matters a lot. And getting that decision right is really important. And when we make that decision, let's make it for time and all eternity, not just for this earthly existence. Let's just decide that forever and ever and ever, this is going to be my partner. And, it, and if we say, if it doesn't matter in a hundred years, it doesn't matter. In other words, let's get over the small stuff, the small irritations, the little bitty stuff that hurts us in our discussions with each other. Let's focus on the big issues. If it doesn't matter in a hundred years, it doesn't matter. So let's just focus on the big issues. Let's get those right. And then as a couple, we're going to be happy. And I think the marriage's experience is really an important experience. And we go up and down in that. I'm, we don't have a perfect marriage. I'm, I'm a dunderhead sometimes, right? I just am, right? And my wife is just a bunch smarter, more patient, and, and more angelic in every way than I am. But she is a safety and security person. And I'm a high risk and adventure kind of person. Mm. And so we're polar opposites. And we've had to negotiate that, right? And in a way, we're trains going down parallel tracks. And ultimately, if in a marriage, if we're going on parallel tracks, we will soon deviate and we will move apart. So we've got to build these crossover points where we're sharing the same journey for a while, and then we go apart again, and then we share the same journey for a while, and then we go apart again. And that creates the stickiness, the adhesion of a marriage. And I think that's helpful and beneficial. And I've been very fortunate to be married to someone who's very patient, very smart, very dedicated and committed. 
And she's really helped me grow as an individual. And I, she came out of a great family. I came out of a family, maybe it was 25 degrees off dead center, you know, a little dysfunctional in some ways. And she says, help me, help me grow. And uh, so I've been very fortunate to have her as my wife all of these years and as a, as a partner in marriage and in family. And it's been very beneficial for our children. Yeah, love that answer, Warren. Where can people learn more about you? Uh, WarrenRustan.com. Uh, come and read the book, The Leader Within Us. There are speeches, there are Facebook Live episodes, there are YouTube episodes, a bunch of stuff. Um, and I uh, would love to have your uh, thoughts and feedback on everything. And I tell you how much I've appreciated this discussion today. You're excellent at this. And uh, your own life is really, really a good example and models for others. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you, Warren. Well, there you have it, my conversation with Warren Rustand. The thing that I really value about Warren is that he lives the principles of the one thing. He's clear on the things that matter most. He has time blocked for those things. He protects that time. And just like placing a big boulder in the stream, when the water hits it, it simply goes around it. Everything else is everything else. And the thing that I really respect is that it's more than just about productivity for him. It's about a bigger purpose, a bigger reason why. Every single one of us, we have a big one thing in our life, which is our purpose. And we have a one thing right now, that action we can take right now that best puts us in alignment with it. Warren is an example of what it looks like to develop a sense of purpose to identify your core values, to make decisions, and to invest your time in alignment with those values. Based on everything you heard today, what's one thing you can put into action? That one thing you can do, such that by doing it, everything else would be easier or unnecessary. Again, if you need help identifying what your core values are, you can head on over to theonething.com slash core values. You can get a copy of the core values deck, which has over 140 core values in there. And we also have a free course that you can get access to to walk you through how you can go through this process. If this episode has brought value to you, please think of somebody that you know that needs to hear it and share it with them. If you're new to the podcast, click the subscribe button so all future episodes will automatically be downloaded. And please consider leaving us an honest rating and review on your podcast player of choice. It genuinely helps us reach more people and fulfill our purpose, which is to help you better invest your time so you can achieve extraordinary results. I'm your host, Jeff Woods. We look forward to being with you in the next episode.